All right. Well, this morning, uh, in, in line with uh, giving thanks, uh, I just want to take a moment to give you all thanks as well and, and just kind of share with you my, uh, my sense of, uh, um, of gratitude to be serving here at this church. I, I look around me, and, I, and I'm, I'm so thankful for how generous we are as a church. Right? I mean, I, I look over here, I see these boxes, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more with us about that later on, but, but it, it's an encouragement to me as a pastor to be a part of a generous church, right? Where, where we're, we're mindful not just of the things, uh, the ways that God feeds our soul, but how he calls us to take part in feeding the souls of others. And this is just an example. I, I wouldn't say that this is the pinnacle of our year of, uh, or of our generosity, but uh, to me, it's a it's a great example of our desire to share the gospel with others, and not just to, to give a kid a, a gift, but, but to know that as each box goes out, it represents an opportunity to share Jesus, to share the life and the good news of Jesus with a child somewhere in this world. And so uh, I, I, am, I, I consider it a privilege to serve uh, among you all and, and be excited about that. I'm also, on a more personal note, thankful for your generosity because uh, you may notice or remember that, that I was not here last weekend. And, and I, I'm thankful for your generosity in allowing Tar and I the opportunity to go away for a few days. We had my parents here in town. They watched our kids. So hopefully you saw them on Sunday morning last week. But, but, but Tar and I got a chance to go away. And uh, I'm, just, I'm thankful for the generosity of this church that, that recognizes and, and, and gifts us the time to get away together as a couple and, just, and, and to be reminded that we love each other, that we're married, and, and it's more than just shuffling kids around and, and different uh, responsibilities, but, but there's a relationship that we can value and appreciate. So thank you again for, for your generosity uh, in, in allowing us to be away. This morning, we're going to pick up and, and finish out the chapter, uh, chapter 6 of, of the Gospel of John. Last week, um, Chris Rowley was with us, and, and hopefully we all had a chance to appreciate this, this diverse diet of, of biblical teachers who can share with us. I think it's great when we can understand that, that there may be uh, different people who come up here and, and lead us through God's Word, but it's God's Word that is consistent and the same week in and week out. And we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because that's the one constant, consistent truth that we can rely on in this world that will never change. And so it's important that we have men and women who, who can, can uh, point us into God's word, point us back to the word of God and have uh, excellent biblical teaching uh, from, from the, uh, God's word to guide us, direct us, encourage us, and even correct us when we need correction. So uh, this morning we look to John chapter 6 and, and we look to finish out this chapter, a story which we've been following, uh, but, but it's a, a, port, a part of the chapter that I think is important for us to consider when we think about our relationship with Jesus and his disciples, right? I mean, sometimes I think it's important for us when we think about our relationship with God and our faith in Jesus to put it in the context of a relationship. Uh, let, let me explain myself a little bit. When Tar and I were first dating, actually, when we first got to know each other, we, we got to know each other, we were good friends. By the way, I asked her permission to share this story, so... Um, so, so yeah, so she's okay with this. Just whatever I say, it's all been pre-approved. Um, so when, when Tar and I first met, we became friends. We were serving at a, a Salvation Army summer camp. So it was a, a summer camp for kids in the city. But we, we taught them the Bible. We, we shared the gospel with them. We were out in the woods adventuring. It was a great time. But, you know, of course you make friends with people, guys and girls. And Tara was one of the girls that, ladies that I met that was, uh, became my friend, 
right? And, and we developed a great friendship. And, uh, you know, after camp came to a close, we, we saw our friendship develop into something more. And, and uh, I realized I had feelings for her and, and uh, eventually asked her to go on a few dates with me, and she said yes, thankfully. Um, but, but we were young, right, and, and kind of inexperienced with our emotions and whatnot. And so after two, two months of dating, we broke up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was my senior year of college, and, and it, was, it was certainly a, a challenging time, but we broke up, and um, as I came through my senior year of college, we, uh, I, I started working at this, the camp again, the summer camp, and you know, lo and behold, Tar was also working there, and, and, it, and you know, we had to kind of figure out how to navigate that place of, uh, of, of being friends and also no longer dating. So, you know, it, it was a challenge. It's more maybe for my personality, maybe others do things better, but, but I had a hard time uh, being, going back to being her friend, right? That was, it, was, it was hard for me. So uh, as hard as I tried, anytime I saw her talking to another guy, I, I got jealous, right? Anytime I, I saw her doing something fun, I thought, hey, that should be me next to her, right? Anytime uh, that, that I had a moment that I wanted to share with someone else, it was her that, that I pictured in my mind, right? I was thinking, man, she should be here with me uh, experiencing this right now. But, but the problem was, I wasn't looking to share it with her as a friend, right? She, she meant more to me than just a friend. She, she, I realized in thinking about my relationship with her, she was significant in my life. And so... So I, I, I struggled with that, right? I mean, she wanted to be friends. I wanted to be friends, kind of, but not really. Uh, and I had to decide, could I keep going down this path of, of being her friend, or did I have to take the risk of, of telling her how I truly felt and potentially losing that friendship? And so it was that moment, it, it was a moment where I had, to, I, I had to plant the flag in the ground. I'd hit a fork in the road. I had to make a decision. I had to get off the couch, stop kind of sitting back passively and hoping things will work out. I had to make a decision. And, and, and so I sought some wise counsel. The wise counsel said, listen, Dan, you, you need to count the cost. You need to know, you need to decide if it's worth it to tell her how you feel. Are you willing to lose that friendship, lose that whatever relationship is looks like right now uh, if she doesn't feel the same way as you? And so that was the decision I had to make. That was the plant the flag in the ground, get off the couch, fork in the road moment where I had to decide is, how is this relationship going to move forward. Well, let me just fast forward about 17 years um, and say how thankful I am that God worked in our lives in such a way that he gave me the courage to, to, to have that conversation with her, to make that decision, right? It was terrifying to make that decision. But we all, we all have moments in our lives where, where we have to plant the flag in the ground. We have to recognize that we're at a fork in the road. We have to get off the couch and make a decision, right? Because living our lives is not about sitting back and just hoping things will turn out okay. It's not just kind of taking a fistful of darts and throwing them at the wall and hoping one of them gets a bullseye, right? God invites us to, to be decisive, to make a decision, to get off the couch. And, and that's where I was in my relationship with Tara, and, and I'm so glad that it, that it worked out uh, in this way. You know, in a similar way in our passage this morning, the, the disciples that, uh, that Jesus is leading find themselves at this fork in the road. They find themselves at this place where, where, where they're they're forced to make a decision. Am I going to plant my flag in, in the life of Christ? Or is it time to, to move on and, and to decide something else, to look at other options? Trinity, I think this is important for us to take notice of. 
Because I think as we look at the lives of the disciples, I think we need to understand, and this is a terrifying thing for me to consider, and, and, and I hope that you're terrified of it as well, by the way. We need to understand that it's possible to be a disciple and not really believe in Jesus, right? It's possible to do what the disciples did, to, to follow his teaching, to, to, to say, yay, Jesus, and yet not really believe in the person of Jesus, of who he is and what he's come to do. And so this morning, I hope we'll, we'll get a chance to understand that more. And so let's look at John chapter 6, verses 60 to 90, uh, 69 together. And I'll read it for us from the Gospel of John. I think it's, uh, it's definitely in your pew Bibles, but it'll also be up on the screen for us here. And let me read these words. And, and as you do, try to notice that, that moment that they're forced. Now, Jesus isn't saying, do you believe me or not? He's just teaching them and living life with them. And, and by his teaching, they come to this fork in the road where they have to say, can I follow him? Or is it time to move on? Listen to, to what John records for us in John chapter 6. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for your word this morning. Father, I believe that your word is life. May we may we take it in may we make space for it in our lives may we may we uh, desire to see it incorporated into our lives to transform us from the inside out father i i pray that uh, whatever distractions would be on our hearts and minds this morning whatever concerns we might have would become a, a a thing of the past would not hinder us from knowing you more Enlighten our hearts and minds, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what's happening here in our passages, as I've mentioned, is the disciples, are, are, they're at a crossroad, right? They're, they're in this situation where, where they have to decide when, if they believe when the going gets tough, the tough get going, or uh, when the going gets tough, they get lost, right? They're out of there. Uh, this is a time for them to, to really sit back and, well, maybe not sit back, but to evaluate their faith, to say, what is it that I believe? Or, or better yet, what am I called to do as a result of my faith, right? What does my faith lead me to do? A and am I firmly convicted that this is the truth, the truth in Jesus? Uh, they, they have to ask the question, when, when, when Jesus said to them, follow me, was that an unqualified yes? Was that, yeah, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus? 
Or, or is it, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you at least until it gets dark. I'm afraid of the dark, so I just got to make, make sure I'm home before it gets dark. Or, or, or yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you until my savings runs out, and then, then I'm, you know, I'm going to set you aside for a little bit, and I'm going to go back to here. You know, they had to decide when, when Jesus invited them to follow him, what did, what did they mean when they said yes? Was it, yes, we'll follow you at all costs, or yes, we'll, we'll follow you under certain conditions? See, apparently Jesus, in our passage, had, had said something that was challenging to them. It, w- it was difficult to them. It, it was something that they were not expecting him to say. They, it was that moment where, where Jesus had put something on the table, and, and now they have to decide, are we willing to believe that and move forward with it? Or is it time for us to check out? Right back in uh, verse 48 of chapter 6, Jesus begins to kind of unpack for them what, what it meant when, when, when he had said he, that he is the, the bread of life. Right? They, were, they seemed a little bit confused by that. They, they weren't fully understanding when, when Jesus fed the 5,000 the full meaning of what was happening there. And, and so Jesus goes into explaining to them what it meant that he is the, the bread of life. He looks back to the Old Testament, kind of alludes to what happened when Israel was in the wilderness and, and when, they were, when they relied upon God each and every day to send manna from heaven. And Jesus says, I am the, the manna from heaven. Just like this manna was sent from God, I've been sent from the Father, right? Just as this manna gave you life, I am the life-giving one that's been sent from heaven, Right? And just as, uh, as Jesus fed the 5,000 with the bread and fish until they were full, so Jesus is that nourishment for our soul. And this is all, these are all these things that, that Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples. But what he's trying to say is, listen, in, Israel, or in the wilderness, when Israel was coming through the wilderness, they, they got hungry every day. The bread that came from heaven was enough for one day. And then they were hungry again the next day, Right? The, the bread that the 5,000 ate, the fish that the 5,000 ate, that was good for that day, but their bodies hungered again. And so what Jesus offers, he offers something different. He offers them a person. Listen to what he says in verse 32 and 33 of chapter 6. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, right? The true bread of heaven is not an it or a what. It's a, it's a he. It's a person. He, the Holy One of God, has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, Jesus is different from the manna in the wilderness. The manna in the wilderness, if, if the Israelites collected more than they were supposed to, guess what happened to it the next day when they went to find the leftovers in the basket? It was spoiled, right? It went bad. Jesus doesn't spoil, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He, he, he's, he's one who, who uh, he's a treasure that, that can't be stolen or destroyed or, or, or rot or rust or fade away. And so in talking to his disciples, John sa- or Jesus says this in verse 53. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now that's the hard saying, right? That's the piece that they're struggling with. I mean, even today, that sounds difficult, right? This man, Jesus, he's telling us to to eat his body, to, to drink his blood, 
That's a difficult saying. That's a hard thing to follow. And, and not only was it difficult because it, it, it was kind of difficult to understand, but it was difficult because the thing that Jesus was asking them, if they understood it on the surface meaning of the words, went against the law that they had been following since they were young. Right? The, the Mosaic law teaches them not, not to drink the blood of any living being and not to eat the flesh of anything that, that, hasn't, that still has the blood in it. Right? And so there, there's, this, there, there, there's this cultic uh, challenge for them, that, that they're being called to live contrarily to the, the, the law that they had been taught since they were young. But this isn't what Jesus meant. He, he, didn't, he didn't say, hey guys, uh, when I'm dead, I want you to gather around my... Never mind, that's grotesque. Um, what Jesus... That's when, see, this is when you don't... Follow your notes. You say things that you wish you didn't say. So thank the Lord he stopped me before I said it. Anyway, uh, what Jesus meant, the true meaning of, of, of his statement was that they would take the life of Jesus and just ingest it all. Say, this is the one source of life and truth. Nowhere else will I find the, 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 the wisdom and the discernment and, and the promises fulfilled but in Jesus Christ. There's no uh, fountain of youth. There's no uh, quick fix diet that's going to get my life on track. There's no get rich quick scheme that's going to make it happen. It's in Christ and Christ alone. And so the, the true meaning of believing in Jesus is not only to acknowledge that this is truth, to say, yeah, he's teaching some good stuff, but, but, but it's to be united to Jesus. It's to be united with Jesus through faith. And through participation in his life, right? So, so, you know what happens when I eat a candy bar? It goes straight to my hips. It becomes a part of me, right? What do they say? A moment on the lips, eternity on the hips or something like that? Is that, is that the saying? Yeah, something like that. But, but this, is, this is what we're talking about with Jesus. To, to ingest him, to, to take him into your life, to, that he becomes a part of you, Right? And I know that's still a little abstract, but it's this idea that, that when we take in his teaching, we're not just saying, hey, there's some really good teaching over there. That becomes our life. That becomes our life lived. Jesus is inviting his disciples to take in his life, to live like Jesus did, to love like Jesus does, to, to, to believe in Jesus as a source of life and truth. So when Jesus invites his people to eat his flesh, and drink his blood. He's inviting them to, to make him a part of their lives, to let his word become a, a, a part of us. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's easy for us to gather on Sunday morning and talk about the word of God. There's something very holy about gathering around this eternal and timeless word, this revelation of God. It's, it's encouraging to, 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 to celebrate it, to come around it, right? But then Monday morning comes. Do I, do I really believe that this is what I'm supposed to do? Do I, do I really believe that I'm supposed to love my enemies, right? Is that, God, are you really, I mean, I like the way that sounds, but is that really what you want me to do, right? Is that, is that who I'm supposed to be, a lover of my enemies, right? It gets, it's, it's challenging. It's not, it's easier said than done, to, to, to incorporate Jesus into our lives, to, 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 to see him do the work in our lives of transforming us from the inside out. What the disciples and the people thought was a literal meaning, 
was actually meant to be symbolic, right? It wasn't meant to be something that they were to be uh, grossed out by or, or, or offended by. But Jesus wanted them to capture the fullness of this symbolic meaning. We do this often, don't we? We, we talk in symbolism all the time. Right? When, I, when I tell the family, I'm going to go jump in the shower, I'm not literally pulling the curtain back and hopping in the shower, right? I mean, that's how accidents happen, right? If I, if I say I'm going to go hit the road, I don't walk out the front door, walk out to the middle of the street and punch the road, right? It's symbolic. It means I'm going to, I'm going to get going now, right? It means I'm going to take a quick shower. I'm, about to, I'm, going, to go, I'm going to get in the shower. See, the symbol, uh, symbolism of our language holds meaning, but sometimes that meaning has to be explained to us. Listen to how Jesus explains himself further in verse 63. He says this. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, were, uh, who those were who did not believe and who it was who betrayed him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. See, these words go against much of what we, by default, feel as human beings, right? By default, our, 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 uh, we are, we're all about earning our way in this world, right? Our, our flesh may not be perfect, but it's good for something, right? I mean, we struggle to, to, to think of ourselves as sinful beings, I mean, it's, it's offensive in this world to consider the fact that there's nothing good in me apart from Jesus Christ. It, it, it's difficult for us to think that we're not really good people, right? That's hard. It, it, you know, it, we, we like to think more of things like, hey, you know, I'm a good worker. I'm a decent dad. I'm nice to my wife. Right? We, we, we kind of like to believe by default in this sense of, I may, not, I may not be on this end of the extreme, I may not be completely evil, and I may not be completely perfect, but I'm not that bad, right? I'm right there in the middle. But by, by, by default, this is where we live, and if we're honest with ourselves, if we actually step back a little bit, gave ourselves permission to admit that we're not as good as we think we are, I think we'd agree with Paul. Right, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Right, Jesus recognizes that life does not come by the flesh. Because if you rely on the flesh you realize as much as you desire to live into that life, you don't have the ability to, right? I, I like to think I'm a nice person, and then I lose my patience with my kids, right? What am I supposed to think then, right? Do, do I think Jesus looked away, didn't see that happen? You know, like maybe, maybe if I whisper my frustration to my kids, God won't notice it. No. You know, I, none of us are as good as we think we are. And listen, I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip down. I'm not trying to pretend I'm better than the next. But I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we think that we have the ability in our flesh to do more than we actually can, right? But, but there's, there's a gift here in this. Because the, the gift is that Jesus offers the Spirit 
which can and does transform us from the inside out. He says, my words are spirit and life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a freeing thought for me. That, that, that's a sense, it, it almost seems counterintuitive, but there's a sense of freedom that I feel in that thought, that I experienced in that thought, that I, I shouldn't feel subhuman because I struggle with sin, right? Because apart from Christ, that's exactly what should be happening. I can't overcome sin. And, and even when Christ comes into my life, it doesn't always happen like that overnight, but it's, it's, a, it's a journey, it's an experience of seeing the, the Spirit work in our lives to set us free from this sin that seems to so easily overcome us or overwhelm us or entangle us. And so how does one live by the Spirit? How does one learn to rely on the Spirit rather than to rely on the flesh? I think by eating his words up. By eating his flesh and drinking his blood. By, by, by coming back to the, the word of God time and time again to say, this is the one source of truth. This is the one source of life. This is what I need to return to time and time again. When I mess up, I turn to the word of God. When I'm scared, I turn to the word of God. When I'm worried, I turn to the word of God because it's truth. It's the one source of truth. And I ingest it. I eat it up. I, I, I drink it up as if, I was, as if I, my throat was parched from, from being so thirsty. You want joy in your life? Live by the truth of Jesus' words. You want hope and peace? Believe in the promises, the promises of God that are recorded for us in Scripture, the, the promises of God that Jesus points us to time and again. You, you want to experience life the way you were created to experience life? Take in the Word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Listen to, we live in a day and age where you can listen to the Word of God on your phones, Right? We haven't, there's uh, on the church app, the TBC app, uh, uh, under Sunday resources, there's uh, uh, the version Bible. You can actually listen to those scriptures. It will read it to you. And sometimes we just need to listen to the scriptures read to us, and it refreshes the soul. It feeds us with life. The prophet Jeremiah recognized this to be true in his own life and ministry, Right? During a difficult time in his ministry, uh, he records these words in kind of responding to God. He says in, in Jeremiah 15, verse 16, he says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight, the, the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Right? The word of God, the, the promises of Jesus, the, the life of Jesus to eat his body and drink his blood, it's all recorded right in here. But it's not just a record. It's not a historical book. It's the living and active word of God that we ingest, that we, that we invite into our lives. That moment on the hips becomes an eternity on the hips. Rather than a candy bar, let's let, let's let that be about God's word, right? Is it important to do this? Yeah. I think it's, an, it's, it's a necessary uh, daily characteristic of our, our, characteristic of our day to have a daily diet of God's word, to take it in, to ingest it. Trinity, are, are, are we looking for and finding Jesus in the word of God? I know, I get it. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. It can be kind of daunting. We don't know where to start. We don't know what it should look like, how much time we should do. I, I think all of those things are secondary. They're, they're, 
they're, they're more of the peripheral questions we should be asking. Because I think what we need to ask first and foremost is where do we turn for truth? Where do we turn for life? Where do we turn to be comforted? I think Bible studies, sermons, teachers of God's word, all great things. But, but, but there's no substitute than making yourself available to eat Jesus' word for yourself. Right? I hope that as we think about how we grow as disciples, and that's, that's a central purpose for who we are as a church, that, that the, the disciples that live and breathe and worship here at Trinity, we're not looking to be spoon-fed the word of God, but we learn to read it, to, to understand it, to ingest it, to let it transform our lives for ourselves, right? It, it's not an excuse for teachers to kind of step back and not worry about how uh, teaching the Word of God, but it's a challenge for us to get off the couch and, and, and interact with God's Word ourselves. And, and I get it. Many of us are doing that now. Let's encourage one another to do that more, right? And Why? Because I don't want us to be like the disciples that John records for us in John chapter 6. Some of the saddest words in the Bible are found in verse 66. Let me, let me read it for us. After this, after they had difficulty with Jesus' saying, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Right? Do you understand that it's possible to be going to church all your life, to be listening to sermons, to saying, praise, praise God on Sunday morning, but to walk out and, and it's like you didn't really ingest the word of God, did you? The word of God is not taking root. It, it, it's not something that you're actually looking to have it transform your lives. You're, you're, you're depending more on the flesh than the spirit. You're, you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's like a cultural thing to be at church but I don't know if I actually believe these things, right? Do you know it's possible? The, the Bible is showing us right here that, that it's possible to be a disciple and not really believe in Jesus. Those are the, some of the, the, the saddest words in the Bible. See, a disciple was really someone who, who sat under the feet of a teacher or a rabbi. A disciple was, as we've heard described in the previous verses, someone who was wowed by the miracles that Jesus was doing. They were like some of the people in the crowd that wanted to see him do more. They thought, hey, we got a political leader here. We can make him king, maybe. We want to maybe squeeze a couple extra miracles out of him. He's doing some amazing things, right? But what happens when the miracles stop? What happens when it becomes a, a, a challenge to follow Jesus, difficult to, to actually take in what he's teaching and to see uh, as a reality in our lives? What happens? Well, the disciples, they turn back and they no longer walked with him. You know, there's a passage in Matthew that, that also scares me. It's in Matthew 7. Jesus warns his disciples against this danger. He says, not everyone, uh, not everyone in verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What a terrifying possibility 
That we could go through this life thinking that we're following Jesus, you know, being encouraged to hear these nice words spoken of on Sunday morning, but not really integrating them into our lives, not really leaning on the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit to allow him to transform our lives. Not so much that we become people who, who, who like to raise the banner and say, yay, Jesus, but we actually become vehicles of Christ's life in us. We become these little Jesuses going out into the world that people interact with, with, with Jesus through us. What a scary thought to think that, that we could spend our lives not really living as if we believed his truth. See, in the verses that follow, Jesus, uh, in Matthew 7, Jesus depicts these two builders, right? The, the one builder, uh, he kind of, he takes this gift and he, he, he builds his house in the sand. He's like, you know, I just want to build the house. I'm just going to start building right here in the sand. Uh, Jesus calls him a foolish builder. The wise builder is the one who digs down through the sand to a rock foundation and builds the house upon the rock foundation. Jesus says the wise builder, the one who builds his house on a, a rock-solid foundation, is the one who, who, who builds his life on the teachings and sayings that I'm giving you, that Jesus has, has given to his listeners, his followers at that point. He, he says uh, the person who hears Jesus' teaching, who, who, who believes it and then lives it out in their lives, not, not begrudgingly but joyfully, this is what it means to be a believer does that describe us when we think about our lives and consider how we profess to believe in Jesus? Does that describe who we are as followers of Christ? Do we gather for worship, but then do we get out in the world and the things we say, the things we do, they're pretty ugly. They're not compassionate. They're not loving. They're not encouraging others to draw near to Christ. Are we, are we willing to, to die to ourselves, to die to our plants, to die to our own wills daily? It, does that describe us? Are we willing to put the needs of others ahead of our own? Or do we like the comfort of letting some people think that we believe it? Do we like the idea of, of, of walking the doors of a church and putting a mask on and, and appearing as if life is better than it really is? See, the warning that Jesus gives us in Matthew and here in John, it, it's a good warning for all of us. As, as terrifying as it is, it's a great warning. Because it is possible to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to follow Jesus' sayings, to be wowed by the things he says and think, man, that sounds so cool, that sounds right, but to not actually live it out. See, being a disciple is one thing. Believing in him is something separate. See, we're told that, that not everyone abandoned Jesus that day. In verse 67, Jesus said this to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, last week, Chris Rowley taught us that, that we really will only be satisfied in this world by Jesus. He's the one source of true soul satisfaction and this is exactly what Peter's saying here to Jesus. He said, to whom shall we go? Where, 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 where can we turn? You've got the words of eternal life. See, eternal life in the New Testament is not so much about the quantity, like the duration of eternal life, as much as the quality. It's a quality of time. It's not death, it's life, 
right? The contrast is not that, that, that we're, we're, we're uh, dead, but that we're alive. There's a quality there that we can take hold of. And so in John 5, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. But get this, he has crossed over from death to life. That, that's not a future promise, that's a present promise. He's crossed over, he already has crossed over from death to life. There's a quality of our lives that happens, that occurs, that's, that's ingrained in us, that's, that's embedded in us when we put our faith in Christ. When we say, like Peter, yeah, you're it, Jesus. You're, you're the only one. You're it. There's no change in the, the quality. Uh, I'm sorry, there is that change of quality in, in living from death to life. No amount of worldly success or power or, or, or comfort will do it. It's only in Christ. And so the 12, the 12 have made up their minds. They've planted their flags in the life of Jesus. They've gotten off the couch and stopped wavering back and forth. They've made their decision. They will follow Jesus. Not just follow him and praising him as a fan, but follow him in imitating him, living like him, trusting and depending on the Holy Spirit to transform him, them from the inside out. They're saying, Jesus, you're it, right? See, I think Pete, uh, Peter's words here in the passage, they're, they're a clear conviction that they were all in for Jesus. He says, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Right? That's a very specific title. There's not more than one Holy One of God. They're saying, yes, we believe you have been sent from heaven. You are the manna from heaven. And we believe in you. Trinity, today is a, is a day that we can plant our flag in the ground. Today is, is a day that we can make a clear decision that we will build our lives on the rock foundation of Jesus' life and teachings. For Jesus' disciples in John's gospel, uh, today's passage was an opportunity for them to evaluate their faith. I would invite you to do the same. Consider what is your faith. And I'm not looking for you to answer and, and, and experience maybe a sense of, of shame or anything like that. It's not about shame. It's not about pride. It's about Understanding for yourself, where is your faith placed? Was it, was it the, the glitz and the glam of the miracles Jesus performed? Was it a, a faith based on just going along with the, with the crowd? Or, or, or is there faith, the, the disciples' faith, is it in Jesus Christ alone as the only source of our true eternal life? Trinity, we need to decide if we will like the idea of being a Christian more than actually believing in Jesus Christ himself. The disciples that walked away from Jesus were more interested in, in, in the food he miraculously provided. They were more interested in having this political Messiah, someone they could potentially make a king. They were more interested in kind of negotiating or squeezing more miracles out of him. But a true disciple of Jesus, 
one who believes his word, one, one who builds their lives upon his word and his teaching, one who, who, who relies upon inviting the Holy Spirit into their lives and transforming them from the inside out, knowing that their salvation is not because of any work of the flesh, but only be because of the Father who, 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 in, who draws people to himself, who does that miraculous work of, of transformation, only because of that. That's a true disciple of Jesus. And a true disciple of Jesus, they get off their comfortable couch and they draw near to him every day. They, they, they seek him out. They, they follow after him. They, they dig into the word. They read God's word. They, they pray God's word. They, they listen to God's word. They meditate on God's word. They, they memorize God's word. Trinity, I hope and pray that that's said of the disciples of Jesus here at Trinity. That, that, that we're not a people who, who like to, uh, to, to, we don't just like the idea of Jesus. But we invite him into our hearts in such a way that we, we lay down our lives for him. We surrender our will. We, we, we invite him just as Jesus did. We, we ask of the Father, your will be done, not mine. Right? May that be said of disciples of Jesus here at Trinity, that we abide in his word each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to consider, uh, to evaluate our faith, to, to think about what, what we've put our faith in. Do we genuinely plant our flag in, in Jesus? So that even when, when, when we have to go through difficult times, we're still clinging to you. We're clinging to you maybe even more so. Lord, I, I hope and pray that, that as we evaluate our faith, as we consider what our faith is placed in, that your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us. That where the, the, faith is, or where the flesh is weak, the Spirit will be strong. Transform us from the inside out, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, will you serve us as we continue to worship the Lord this morning?